You're listening to Goodfellas Minute 92. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care Hello, welcome to Goodfellas Minute, the only podcast that analyzes the Martin Scorsese picture. Goodfellas, one nutty minute at a time. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, with me are Ron Richards. Hello. And Josh Flanagan. Nut. And joining <laughs> us all this week is Greg Young from the Bowery Boys Podcast. Hey, Greg. Hola, what's up? And this minute begins with Maury driving them all nuts. <laughs> and it ends with Henry testing the cocaine that Lois has smuggled in. <laughs> a lot going on here. And in between, uh, there's a baby. And in between, <laughs> somehow there's a baby in there. My first note for this minute is Maury is, like, so stupid. <laughs> Uh, my note is actually just I wrote the line Maury have a drink and shut up <laughs> well and my question was and this is and, and as Henry explains in the voiceover we're still at the shot of Roberts and they're all at the bar and Henry is badgering Jimmy and as Henry explains because Henry wanted an advance on his cut what makes him think he'd get an advance on his cut because he's so stupid <laughs> the last time we saw Maury really he was being choked with a telephone wire by, by Jimmy. Why would you then ask that man to advance you money? <laughs> I mean, it was especially, especially it, it's when we all have film knowledge of Robert De Niro. So when you watch a scene like that where he's like whining to Robert De Niro, and we've already seen him being strangled by Robert De Niro. So it's mm-hmm. like, you just, it just doesn't feel good. You're just like, Maury, just shut up. De, De Niro does su- such a good job of, being, of walking away annoyed. Yeah, that's my, my next note here is De Niro's barely contained irritation. And I feel like this is something he does really, really well. Like, yep. maybe better than anybody else in film. Like, <laughs> or like he's, life. He's, right, he's just, he's clearly, like, I want to look like that when somebody's annoying me. The, the, only, the only person that looks more annoyed is my father when he walks away from me. <laughs> like, here's something you might not know about the show, Greg, but uh-huh. a lot of this has a different meaning for Ron. <laughs> Uh, growing up as an Italian American, a lot Long of thinly veiled therapy <laughs> happening on the show. Sure, sure. I can't. A lot of that. a lot of times when you watch this movie, you're going to see things that are different than what Ron sees, uh, and we just let that play out. We have a different prism than you do. That's yes, good. That's yes. good. Um, I mean, I just does uh, like Robert De Niro in this face. It's kind of, kind of like he's chewing a cud, right? That's like <laughs> annoying. Yeah. It's like something like going on in like his mouth, or it's like just barely holding it in. I purse my lips and I sort of move them around, like yeah. squeeze together, and that's how I get that face. That like, yeah, it's a it's a bit of cutness. Well, he can't he can't kill Maury as much as he'd like to until this heist happens. Yeah, right. so he's at he's in his worst possible position. He he has to take it. He really wants to kill him now. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then of course you got Henry telling him just relax. Take it just the 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 Maury whisperer there. You know, <laughs> just enjoy the game. Have a drink. He's handling him. He's the best Mori handler. (laughs) So, yeah, and and as we mentioned yesterday, they're watching a a Boston College basketball game, and then the scene cuts away to a baby, and we get a sense of while all the planning for the heist is happening, what Henry's been doing. He's a busy guy. He's not – he's – as we said before, he's sort of the – not the fixer, but he puts the people together. So he put Mori together with Jimmy, and that was his – his job is now done. He'll get his cut for that. Yeah. So he runs off now to deal with his own enterprises, which is the. the he's a relationship guy. The Pittsburgh <laughs> connection <laughs> smuggling. So he's the. If the mafia existed, he would be the head of the business development department. Yeah, he's the BDM. He's yeah. the BD guy. He's the BD guy. All right. Yeah. 
but it doesn't exist. So he's <laughs> he's been busy smuggling the cocaine from Pittsburgh, and he's been using his, his former babysitter Lois, who I yep. guess decided she would become a drug smuggler. So we, here's where we meet Lois and her uh, her her smuggling device baby. Yep, <laughs> which is what that is. And I, I mean, my my note with this was that. So I have a baby. Yep. And you've, um, been, you've been wasting your time. Yeah, you well, had two. You I'm could have been double you, smuggling. You had, you had two children you could have smuggled. Well, I was actually going to go a different direction with that, Chuck. <laughs> oh, oh. Is that if, if, I mean, I can't think of a situation where somebody close to my family or even maybe not particularly close was like, can I, can I take your baby for a day <laughs> on, a, on a day trip on a plane? Like, I, <laughs> you, you would say what? yes, hand over the baby and not ask any questions. Was, yeah, I guess. Flying, a, flying with a baby is kind of awful in general. So, I mean, I just feel like there's got to be a better way. It's, I mean, if you were to ask me right now, like, what's the worst thing you could do? I'd be like, oh, take my kids on a plane. Right, but, but, but you're, you're thinking about <laughs> it from the real point. You're, but you're thinking about it from a parent's point of view. Keep in mind, also, it's 1978, and you're probably so annoyed. You say, yeah, take the kid. That's fine because things were different. But yeah. also, from Lois's point of view, she because she's flying with cocaine. Yeah. Right. The baby's so, at least of her concerns. Yeah. So, Say so, what? so the thing is, is that the thing is that she, her whole goal is to be left alone. And I don't know about you, but when I see a a, a person with a baby that age in the airport terminal, I go in the opposite direction. That's a good point, mm. right? Although, Perfect. like, you could be frustrated from the baby on the plane and just be like, you know what? There's cocaine in my bag. Land the plane. <laughs> no, like, I no, can but, see getting to that point. Well, because she doesn't. It's not her kid. She's, she's not the parent. That's a good yeah. point. Uh, if, to be fair, this is the 1970s in an airplane. There was probably like no security. She yeah. could probably like light up and smoke a cigarette on the plane if she got stressed out. Oh, so. she could have. Yeah, definitely. They they banned smoking in 1987. Babies love smoke. <laughs> <laughs> well, and cocaine, sure. <laughs> Babies love it. <laughs> I, well, have to say, I just have to say really quickly what I what's interesting about this particular scene in comparison to the last one. Again, it's this idea of like family. So in the mafia, family means something very different. But they're having to build this sort of like network of loyalty and trust to get this thing done. As we know, it'll soon fall apart. But then here, Henry has his own that he's building with his actual family and connections of the family, which is his own little game that he's playing. And we know that this one will work a little bit more effectively for him. So well, that was an interesting parallel. Yeah, and that's a great point because that's something that we've been talking about a lot, which is, you know, um, specifically his wife Karen and being a babe in the woods. But how, babe in the woods routine. How much, how, how much was Karen aware of and complicit in? And at this point, she's 100%. All she's all in at this point. Like, way in. all in at this point. Yeah. She's, actually, you know what? She seems mostly interested in the baby. She does. To she be does. fair. Yeah. I, so, I, so, go ahead. I was gonna say I do like when Henry grabs the bag with the cocaine and does his little dance run to, to go look at it. Right? It's like oh yeah, it's like maybe two feet, but he, he, he's he's so excited to get the cocaine. He does so cocaine. I'm sorry. I had this really sick feeling that like someone has accidentally mixed the cocaine with baby powder, and as they were changing a diaper, oh, it was a really unfortunate, really <laughs> unfortunate accident happened. <laughs> Oh, that um, poor baby. So I noticed something in this minute that I've never noticed before. Okay. The baby. The hat. Oh, the hat, yeah. Yep. Uh, I never saw the hat before, the lucky hat that becomes a problem later, and Henry literally takes it off of her head. Yep. And we never see the hat again. And that becomes a very important in about, lucky oh. hat. In, in about uh, 40 minutes, that'll become a yeah. 
that really do- well that's a really good catch um yeah it's a, it's a really nice little tie to later that you you know unless you watch this movie 190 times minute by minute you might not see <laughs> <laughs> i guess it was all worth it so, so do, do we want to talk about lois the real life lois uh, real life lois uh her name was actually judy wicks and uh she was not the family babysitter uh she was just basically a friend of the family that Henry pulled into it. So not, you know, they're, they're taking, they, they're in the movie. They're giving her a little more of a occupation, but she was just a random friend of the family that Henry uh, would have do the shuttling for her. And she did indeed use babies. They were not her own babies. And she would also dress down really plainly and, and try to look as poor as possible to, to be left alone, to not be noticed. And her hat was pink and blue, which is not in the movie, which really sure. makes me wonder how much commitment Marty had to this film. <laughs> Really disappointing, man. Like, that was the only hat. We need a hat. We don't. You were supposed to have a hat here. It says here the hat. Who's got it? You give me your hat. <laughs> so uh, Lois was played by Welker White, who is a very prolific actress. Who you, you guys are going to be shocked to hear she's done multiple Law and Order episodes. Shocking. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, Every actor has. That's true. Uh, Marty brought her back for Wolf of Wall Street, where she played waitress. Oh, nice. I don't remember that. <laughs> he personally called her and said, I, I have wait we need to do it for the waitress role. <laughs> uh, oh, she did she... an episode of Smash. You know, she's you know, she's bumped around in New York, you know, filming and TV yeah. stuff. Also in Chasing Amy as Jane. Oh, how about that? I remember Jane. I totally remember Jane. She's one of the lesbians. <laughs> no, I totally remember when, when Joey Lauren Adams is with her, her friends you at the bar. You mean all of the female characters from that movie? Yes, exactly. Remember when at the bar the, when Joey Lauren Adams goes up to sing? No, I blocked the movie out. She's in that scene. Oops. Yeah. I remember that movie. All right. There you she go. might um, listen to the show. Maybe she'll listen yeah. to the show. Yeah, be awesome. Call in. I didn't block it out because of her performance. I just blocked the movie out. <laughs> <laughs> She's another great actor who got to who got to not only be on Law and Order but to be like nine different characters. Yeah, she was on six episodes of the regular Law and Order, as yeah. multiple episodes of SVU as well. Yeah, exactly. it really goes to show how how many actors Law and Order has to burn through. I really shouldn't have done a fuck count. I should have done a Law and Order count. Yeah, that's what we should have done. Oh. Uh, so so the the other interesting thing about this scene is that this is our first exposure to Henry and Karen's bedroom. Which has been designed as gaudily as the living room and dining room. Mm-hmm. Like, did they raid a metallic wallpaper warehouse or something? Did Henry steal a truck with a lot of metallic? I mean, shiny that's most wallpaper? likely. <laughs> they had a lot of that back then, though. I mean, I my my mom had a wall of metallic wallpaper with silver, but yeah. uh, nonetheless. Well, th- this this also this this picks up from last week's episodes. My complaints about their dining room set that that I feel like this bedroom set is way too eighties. For 1978, and that either they're really cutting edge and really ahead of the curve, or it's just a little off. But, but whatever, that's just me. It doesn't look like the the average Sears set. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. So Lois has been smuggling drugs from Pittsburgh. The fun fact for this episode is that Pittsburgh was named in 1758 by General John Forbes, who was Scottish. So many people suspect that the proper pronunciation is Pittsburgh, like Edinburgh. Oh, so we've been saying it Bunch wrong this better. whole time. We've been saying it wrong this whole time. So, do we know anything about the baby? <laughs> the the, the don't, actor don't call us out on stuff like that. <laughs> wow, we haven't <laughs> mentioned it, so no. It's a, and that baby grew up to be Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. I mean, I'm just you know. Could you That's imagine? It. Oh, if it turns out to be Jake Lloyd. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio would have been on growing pains at this point. <laughs> oh, oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Duh. 
Yeah, I don't know who the baby actor is or the baby in real life is. In what way is that baby related to Lorraine Bracco and or Harvey Keitel? There's only one yeah. baby listening to credits. It's Henry's baby, Ruth. Oh. Wow. A non-credited baby. It's All right, let's see. Here's the, here's the only reference. There's a scab baby. baby, not not in the union. Here's the only here's the only here's the only reference to the baby in Wise Guy where he says Judy, who was a friend of the family, uh, looked like a Kansas preacher's daughter, skinny, dirty blonde hair, dumb pink and blue hat, and crummy Dacron clothes out of the Sears catalog. Sometimes with heavy load, she'd borrow a baby for the trip. <laughs> you know, who's Henry to talk about anybody's outfits? <laughs> yeah, look at that house. <laughs> oh, so let's gosh. talk about let's talk about the music. Okay. Right. For the it's, it's crazy, but Monsker says he used a second Rolling Stones song. What? In this, I know. I, I don't believe you. A second track from 1969's "Let It Bleed." We're talking about Monkey Man. Uh-huh. He's a monkey. This is most famous for Bill Wyman's vibraphone, which is a wooden percussion instrument. Uh, each bar has paired with a resonator tube that has a motor-driven butterfly valve at its upper end. Are you speaking English? Yeah, these are all real. I actually understand most of these words. The valves are all mounted on a common shaft, so they all spin, which creates a vibrato or tremolo effect. Oh. Uh, And I like the guitar tone in this a lot more uh, than I did in Gimme Shelter. It's a nice, really sort of heavy, uh, overdriven tone. And uh, I'm not a big fan of Keith Richards' guitar playing, but I like this one. And that was the guitar minute with Josh Flanagan. Sorry. (laughs) And they, well, the, but the, what's key about it is the first line uh, of the song is perfect for the transition into the next scene, which is, I'm a flea bit peanut monkey and all my friends are junkies. Oh. And then I'm a cold Italian pizza. I could use a lemon squeezer. Um, are some of the, some of the, some of the graceful uh, lines from there. But I, I feel like it, he didn't just pick any Rolling Stone song. This one seems no. to have, and, and the lyrics has a, uh, uh, some subtle c- clues as to um, what might be going on. I, I, would li- I would like to take that lyric sampling from Greg to submit into the record as uh, referring back to last week's uh, conversation about my dislike of the Rolling Stones. Oh. Uh, and as those lyrics are a prime <laughs> example of one of the reasons why I don't like the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I mean, but in general, Marty was pretty literal with a lot of the lyrics and, oh, all, yeah. and a lot of it, as we're finding as we go through here. So yeah. that's uh, not surprising. And Let It Bleed, pretty dark album, apparently. <laughs> Yeah. That's, right. that's what we're finding out. Uh, anything else for this minute? That's all I have. Fuck count is zero. Right. <laughs> but baby, baby count one, so baby, baby count one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you want to take a little time to get to know Greg here? And yes. then in here, uh, so Greg, do you have any memories of your the first time you saw Goodfellas? So it's funny because the movie came out in 1990, and believe it or not, I wasn't living in New York City. Yet at that time, I, w- I was born originally in Missouri, in specific around the Ozarks, Springfield, Missouri, and so I know I saw this in the movie theater because I was, I whatever I was like an Oscar buff, so any movie that was like critically acclaimed was like I'd run out to the equivalent of the art house theater to to go see it. But I mean, the amazing thing about it, and the thing that struck me the first time I saw it, which maybe you may take for granted or may not, is the fact that everyone has such a strong ethnic identity in this movie. And when I was living back in Missouri, I moved to New York in 1993. Um, I'm from a family who, like, does not have, like, any notion of, like, what their kind of, you know, what their 
you know, where their great-great-grandparents came from. You know, I had to basically tra- track a lot of that myself. A lot of people in the Midwest are actually kind of like that. So I, what really struck me, I was like, wow, everyone here in this movie has a powerful connection to, you know, to their grandparents and their great-grandparents and to the ethnicity. And, and they're branded not just as Americans, but as Italian-Americans and Irish-Americans and Sicilians and Jewish people. And to me, that was... that. It was such a powerful and beautiful thing about this movie. And the thing is, is now I've lived in New York for over two decades. And it's like, you know, most everyone does have that. And even I've been trying to bring that out myself because I think it makes your I think it makes your life better to to know that kind of stuff. But so that was the thing that struck me. The thing that intrigued me, the thing that I really loved about it, actually, was that. And, of course, I mean, I was a, by that time, I was a huge Scorsese fan already and um, De Niro fan by 1990. But I have, and this is going to be funny, despite this, despite me being in the Ozarks at that time, I have a interesting story about John Gotti, since we're talking mob here. Wow. Um, well, well, hang on, Greg. Before you do, uh, yes. you're not going to implicate us in any way, are you? Oh no, no, no. <laughs> okay. Because no, listen, we can't we can't get some heat. We 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 want to avoid that heat if we can. So. <laughs> <laughs> Never just, talk about here. This is a vetted story. Okay. Now, the uh, when John Gotti was you know finally put away, they sent him to because he was very ill. Also, they sent him to a federal a federal medical center that was located not only in my hometown, but five minutes away from where I was born. So Springfield has this like big federal mental institution. It's, it's gigantic. It's like the, I think it's like the biggest building in the town and he actually died there. So John Gotti, one of New York's most notorious mafia figures, uh, died five minutes from my house in the Ozarks. Wow. Which is really, which is unusual. But a lot of famous and notorious criminals actually went through there. And oddly enough, it was people frequently broke out of there. But luckily, you know, but they were usually like, you know, they usually had health problems. So they didn't get very far. So, so what I'm hearing, so, so what I'm hearing is that you don't have a strong ethnic identity, but you come from prison folk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm proud of my, proud of my... Proud of drinking the same drinking water as America's most notorious criminals. You're a lousy uh, hack. <laughs> you know, actually, this place, I mean, again, this is like such an 80s story. Um, like, you would never do this today, but like in high school, our choir, like for Christmas, would go to the federal medical, would go to this place, to this prison, and walk the halls and see. No. Really? Yes. No. Yes. What a poorly conceived idea. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, so wait, wait, how old are you at this time? So I would have been, well, so during the choir, I would have been, when did I do that? I did that when I was 15. So you're talking teenage kids. Teenage Boy. kids wow. walking through these hallways singing like Christmas carols and lightening, the lo- lightening everyone's mood. And I remember, I mean, we were, it was like sort of these sort of main passages. Like it wasn't, it wasn't literally, it wasn't like Hannibal Lecter or anything. It was like these main passages and then the prisoners would gather at these windows and look out at us as we were walking through. <laughs> like, a, like a peep show. Oh my yeah. gosh. 
It's you would never do that in a million years. It's like such an eighties eighties uh, story. I know I like to say that on this podcast a lot, guys, but it was a different time. Things were different. Yeah, <laughs> they were all smoking cigarettes, I, as they sang. We were all, smoke, we were all smoking cigarettes. Yeah. The the, uh, the girls were wearing mini skirts. No, I don't. I mean, it's it, Jesus. It was, it's the least they could do. Well, it's the I least they you, could do. Yeah. So <laughs> give them a little show. Notice, give them a little show. Yes. <laughs> I've noticed that I'm going to change the subject. I've noticed that most of the guests that we've had on here did not see this movie in the theater. Yeah, I and think so that I think, makes you unique. I think, really? I think I think Greg and Gabriel Hardman was the only other one because because we're because yeah because yeah, I I mean we I was a little when this, young. yeah when this came out I think I was thirteen or fourteen yeah so it was, I, I was too young yeah well I mean I was I'm a little older than that but I wasn't too old I just had this like I was just really into cinema and very early at the same but at the same time not like so much I didn't have access to a lot of like great cinema. So when things like this came out, it was like, oh, well, this is the art house picture, you know. Well, that that leads that led me to a different question because I tend to think of this as a a big movie. Yeah. But it wouldn't it, it would have played it like the art house cinema not necessarily the whatever. No, no, it was, a, it was a, it was a major uh, studio release, but yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think it no, I think it was bigger. But, but it wasn't it was like a like, blockbuster. It wasn't like a big action movie. It wasn't like the last action hero or anything right. like that. Yeah, you know, like it was a yeah. You're we're right. not talking about it. We're not talking about playing only the Angelica, it's, but it's yeah. not like but it's still yeah. yeah. But I mean it's just that the thing other things in the movie theaters at the time didn't have like didn't have a pedigree, obviously, like yeah, De Niro like, and Scorsese also, did. Like, like there wasn't huge multiplexes then, like a yes, cinema there was. Have, yes there was. I see I, yeah. there were in some places, but probably yeah. not where he was. I'm saying so like oh, yeah. where I yeah. grew up, the theater had there was four theaters, you know, and then, you know, sort of after I left for college, they, they built one that got up to 10, you know, oh, yeah, no, on, on, on Long Island, we had the Comac multiplex. That's Long which, Island, which was, which was open in the mid eighties and had like 12 theaters. It was crazy. It in fact was the number one movie the weekend that it opened. Oh, nice. Oh, it was. Um, so, but what were the other, <laughs> in comparison, do you have a list of the other movies that were? Yes. Uh, number, don't say it. Don't say it. On the don't, list. Number two was Don't say it. Hold on. Don't number two was Postcards from the Edge. Number three was okay. Ghost. Yeah. Okay. So actually, I mean, don't, that's don't, actually not too bad. Ron, Young that's, Guns 2 was way down to number 12. Oh, wow. <laughs> Loved that one. Uh, Please the glory. It, it just yeah. eked out a win over Postcards from the Edge. It beat it by about forty thousand dollars. Wow! Um, but it only—I okay, tell you what, there's nobody doing a minute by minute Postcards from the Edge podcast. Actually, hold on, well, that might not be a bad idea. It only made six million dollars in its opening weekend, which and its total domestic gross was forty-six million dollars. Wow! But that was in uh, 1989, 1990 money. That's crazy. Yeah. I have to admit that probably one of the other things that appealed to me at, th- at that age was the fact that it was. This was really violent. I mean, like today we watch it and I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's like pretty violent movie. still. Yeah, it's still it's, it's still that very stabbing violent. is no, <laughs> no joke. But it, I guess it's you know we've now we've now seen a world of Sopranos and Boardwalk Empires to sort of like numb numb the violence in this a little bit. But I remember back then just being like, oh my god. Yeah. yeah. I, had, I mean, I I even had a little bit of that when we watched. Basically, the Billy Bat scenes where you're just like, that's really horrible. And also, but those other things would literally would not exist if not for this. Right. Either, mm-hmm. you know, those, either of those examples. Yeah. So, uh, hats off to you, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. So, if you, if, if, yeah. if you calculate for inflation, this movie made $85 million in today's dollars. And the opening weekend was $11 million. 
Wow. Quiet weekend, but it topped the weekend. <laughs> oh, you, you love to adjust for inflation. It, what, what, do you know when it came out? What time of year? September. September. We, okay. Remember when we launched? Oh, we that's launched. true. <laughs> we, literally, we, we literally launched this podcast on the 25th anniversary, Josh. Remember I've that? Been, I've been sick for a long time. <laughs> it launched in September, and, I went, and it, it was in the theater till March. So, Greg, is this the kind of movie that you think about or rewatch, or do you have a competing podcast about it, or... <laughs> Yeah, it's weird because I'm doing the same podcast, only I'm doing them backwards. So <laughs> we're gonna meet in the middle, huh? Yeah, that's progressive. So the well, no, it's interesting. For a long time, I never, I didn't give this movie thought. I mean, I guess it was just because it was. I I don't moved on to other kinds of film, or maybe oh, because Scorsese had sort of you know a slight dip in quality briefly. So watching it again, I am really impressed with how. The whole thing really holds up, but the, the the central drama between the husband and wife is still incredibly rich. I mean, very little of it feels corny, you know. I mean, sometimes sometimes movies, you know, sometimes movies like like this do, but I think it holds up brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. Very, it's, well, it's, well, it's, it's, it's one of the greatest movies of all time, Greg. <laughs> it's uh, so happens. It's uh, <laughs> Love it. It's great. So I'm glad, I'm glad that, that we've helped you kind of revisit it and, and see the, its glory. Yeah, Wait, so. I, I got one more. I got one more. Right. I, got, I got one relevant question. Yes. Okay. So as a person who is oh, you know, yeah. quite, quite steeped in, in New York City history, right. how does this hold up for you? Because it, it, it's, it's quite historical. Well, so you know, that's, it's, it's constantly living in the past, and, and it's very specific in the way it does. Well, because that. that, that's similar to my question, which is which is that I mean, on the Barry Boys podcast, you guys talk, you guys tend to focus a lot on Manhattan. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And this is a movie that's taken place in the outer boroughs. Have you been to Queens, Ron? <laughs> I lived there. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so from a historical standpoint, Greg, how do you think the movie holds up and what is your thoughts around the outer boroughs? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the, Do you uh, like the green cabs? That's my question. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, I live, in, I live in an outer borough. Granted, not very outer in it, in the borough. But the... Um, the yeah, from the podcast perspective, it's just that you know sure. most of like the his, most of the sort of rich stories before you know before the year nineteen hundred tend to to have been uh, through Manhattan. But then sometimes, I mean, the best ones are the best shows are the ones that get to bring in all the boroughs, get get to bring in these stories, and then it goes from goes from Manhattan to the five boroughs. But this the history in this, I mean, I. It's a really intriguing screenplay, again, because it really brilliantly goes in and out and in and out of these historical moments that they'll be like, I mean, granted, it's based on a person's actual life and his actual writing, but bigger events go in and out of the story in, in, I think, a way that's very assured and very interesting. And again, it's, it's back to this idea that they can drop little tiny hints here and there of like sort of like how the greater event took place, but they don't need to necessarily go into it. It's, it's more to create this texture with the scene, especially with the Lufthansa heist being one of them. And the uh, Air France, like you, they whet your appetite and they give you only the amount of information you need to know, but it's all like intact, you know? Yeah. But if you know more, you're like, Oh, it's all there. I just, yeah. yeah. You tell it to me. 
I, I, yeah, the, the 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 location and the his, his, I mean, as you obviously tell, I mean, that's something that that I love about the movie, and just and and Scorsese's insistence on filming in actual locations in New York City and like casting real people and things like that. I think just you know kind of add to it all and make it as close to you know, I mean, uh, not as close to reality as possible, as close to Hollywood reality as possible. Greatest many of the many of the scenes that they film, like those locations, look kind of that way still today. There's like a couple funny exceptions to that, including a scene later in the movie involving going to find where they have discount dresses or free dresses. That that whole scene down the street, that's on Ninth like Ninth Street and Smith. Right by the subway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's all like it kind of looks the same at the same time it's like all of that's super gentrified now. So it's interesting. But the but I think that most of the scenes look at almost exactly you know the same. In fact, I think I want to go in the next couple of weeks out to the airline diner, which is still there. Yep. The sign is still there. So I, I lived right down the road from there for years, and we were always like, "We got to go there once." Yeah. We never did, and I've still never been in there. Maybe it's better that way. I just went there. I've never been inside, but I just went there a couple of weeks ago, as well as the cab stand is just a couple of blocks away from there as well. So yeah, yeah. Mm. So. Right. good stuff. Good times. So that's it for minute ninety-two. You can tune in tomorrow for ninety-three. Until then, you can check us out on Twitter at Goodfellas Men and on Instagram and Facebook at Goodfellas Minute. You can find all of our episodes at goodfellowsminute.com. Greg, where can everybody find you? You can find the Barry Boys New York City History Podcast the same place you found this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and all those other places. Our blog is barryboyshistory.com. On Facebook, you can find us there. And on Twitter, it's just handle Bowery Boys. And to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash gfm. And as longtime listeners know, every Friday we give out a mob nickname to a lucky uh, patron, which we'll be doing this Friday. So wait, stay tuned for that. You can also shop via Amazon at goodfellowsminute.com slash support. Any questions or comments? If you're a member of Ron's family and you have a correction, email us at contact at goodfellowsminute.com. And until tomorrow, goodbye. Or will I go from a rags to return? My fate is on.